Welcome everyone to another episode of Passing Covered. And this is a special one because this is episode 10 of the whole podcast. So Paths Uncovered is essentially a podcast where we're currently going through untraditional, uncharted paths into technology of how everyone has found their way into the whole world of it itself. And we've got Gretchen Scott with me today, who I literally have started every single episode of the spot, like the whole series of podcasts would say, my favorite person ever. And it's becoming cliche and I kind of hate that it's becoming cliche, but it's true. And it's a cliche because it's a true reason, right? But you are literally one of my favorite people and she has to run Women in Code and there's so much more about her and I will let her introduce herself. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me. And likewise, you're one of my favorite people in technology. And I think what you said there just is true. There are so many wonderful people in this industry. It's hard to pick a favorite at the moment. But to introduce myself, um, I don't know. I am a technologist. I currently work for Cloudflare, um, but I get to do all these wonderful, amazing things on the side, including um, run Women Who Code with Akantra and Gwenny. Um, I'm also a mother. I'm also an avid and yet useless martial arts um, <laughs> attemptee. And that's pretty much me in a nutshell. <laughs> I like it. It's a really like a wholesome shell there as well. I'm not going to lie. I'm like, it's perfect. <laughs> So just to set the context, oh God, I remember the first time I actually met you was um, one of the Women Who Code events. I think it was that ThoughtWorks or something, like an event that we put on. And you came in with this like, oh, it was like the most beautiful jacket I've ever seen. And it was like a patchwork jacket, I think, that you made yourself. And I was just like, who is this person? I don't understand what is going on. <laughs> that was a great event. That was back when, gosh, it feels like a different lifetime. Um, Women Who Code was being reinvigorated in Melbourne yeah. by a fabulous team. You and Goodo were like bringing it back. And um, I turned up in my homemade coat, which homemade makes it sound rough and ready, but it is this spectacularly glamorous Italian wool fabric that cost more than an already made coat that I decided I needed to turn into something that I could wear every day. And the little, I'm really happy with it. I don't often like my sewing creations. That's one of my favorites, but um, true to form. I never quite finished it because my sewing machine wouldn't go through the fabric to do the buttonholes I needed. So I just sewed the buttons on the outside and it doesn't actually do up, but it still looks great. It looks, I'm going to try, like, I'm going to try and find a photo and I'll put it in here. Um, it genuinely is one of the best things I've ever seen. I was so cozy off, but yeah, that was like my first introduction to Gretch and that whole night was so good and it was just like we got on so well from the start it was just such a banterful night and we're like yes this is gonna end really really well <laughs> so we kind of started there but I know for a fact you've had and I mean even since then I think that was 20 I want to say 18 19 19 maybe 20 sometime in those years in between there who knows what time it is anymore with lockdowns um that's when we met right and even then I've seen you have like multiple different career changes slash pivots or like different jobs and stuff so and I knew before that you had a bunch of them. So I'm like, you are like the ideal person to be on here. So let's go all the way back. And I know there's like interesting things back along in like say high school and college things. So I'll leave you talk about whatever you want from there. Yeah, let me spin a yarn. I would say um, my resume and CV make no sense to anyone whatsoever and would not get through any recruitment AI bot <laughs> under the sun because they've been so varied and and crazy and they seem disparate but I think um, when I look back at it now everything I've done if I saw an opportunity and a door opened and it looked to me like really interesting learning and I could experience new things and and do something that was meaningful to me at that part of my life then I walked through the door and I've got friends who planned their lives out and for example I'm going to be a pilot so I'm going to do aviation training and I'm going to do a b c d and follow that linear path I've I've kind of just done the complete opposite of that and accepted all chaos. So if you go way back to high school, um, I was, I didn't like high school. I, I loved my friends. I loved the social aspects. I could do the school stuff fine. I just really did not like being there. So in, I'm going to age myself now, fifth form, which is a year 10 equivalent in Australia, I... Um, failed science and I failed science spectacularly not on academic grades but on attendance which I felt was 
grossly unfair. I thought if you could pass without going, then probably they should bump your grades up and you should get a better pass rate. But that, my logic didn't hold because apparently attendance is a hurdle feature of year 10 and you actually had to go. Um, but that kind of set the tone for my year 11, of which I did, I think, a week and a half. And I went, this is... Um, this is not the place for me. This is not where I want to be. I'm not loving it. And my high school principal sobbed as she signed my release form because I was 16. So they <laughs> they couldn't make me go. That was that was that. I had full rights to choose what I was doing. Um, my poor parents were also shocked and stunned at the time. <laughs> but I kind of guess I was always a problem solver because in my mind, going to school was a problem. I didn't want to do it. Um, I liked hanging out with my friends. I'd been working at McDonald's and loving it. I know you're not meant to say that, but there was a part of me that just adored the, um, the mathematical concepts of it and how structured it was. So every burger you make, they've designed the kitchen. So there's a minimum amount of distance you have to travel and all your stock ordering processes are done to the nth degree. And I found that stuff really intriguing. So even through my rebellion, I kind of enjoyed processes and, I had this dilemma of I don't want to be at school. My parents are probably going to be quite cross that I'm not at school anymore. So I just went and worked, um, persuaded my boss to give me a full-time job instead of a part-time job at McDonald's. <laughs> As you do, I was just solving problems. And then went on to um, go through their management training process, which way back then actually included McDonald's University. <laughs> oh my God, that was a thing. <laughs> that was a thing. Um, and a lot of their qualifications were actually uh, credits towards a university degree. It didn't quite play out that way in New Zealand because they were like, yeah, I know in theory we should, but no. <laughs> um, <laughs> but fast forward a little bit. I really enjoyed that. Um, and then I became pregnant. I had my first child at 19 and took maternity leave and went, hmm, yeah, McDonald's is kind of fun, but it's not going to be my forever kind of job I've got other stuff to do um, and New Zealand has structures that are not you don't have to jump through a lot of hoops to get things done and you could go to university on the basis of being 20 so my 20th birthday rolled around and I filled out the enrollment forms and they wrote back and said is there any other enrollment category you can tick than this one I was like nope none of them because I didn't finish high school and I didn't have you know enough work experience or life experience and I asked them what the problem, like, that's a category. You say I can enroll based on being 20. They go, no, you can, but we discourage it. Like, is there anything else? I was like, no, no, that's what I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> so I signed up for a commerce degree and majoring in operations research and strategic management. So in Australia, operations research comes under science because it's a more math-focused degree. Yeah. New Zealand just puts it in commerce because they do. Yeah. Um, so off I went um, and that was and I loved university and that was with a newborn like a year what a year old newborn uh, one year old yeah it wasn't I mean to be fair I say I've walked through open doors <laughs> sometimes they were hard doors to get through right <laughs> and I don't know if I'd be able to do it now so I studied I did a three-year degree in three and a half years and I had to work part-time as well. So I worked at this fabulous, fabulous family-owned catering company part-time because I needed some money. And I don't, looking back, I'm like, when did I sleep? And I don't think I slept enough, but I had a problem to solve. Like I was going to go to university and get a degree. And that was just the things I had to do in order to do that. So I think I took my crazy, I don't know. I no, you make it sound like so like simple. You're like, well, this had to do, so this had to be done. End of story. Like whatever else happens in the middle, it just happens. And you're like, oh my God, that's so cool. There was an element of, some people might say stubbornness. I'm, I'm going with tenacity. Yeah, I like it. That's the right way to put it. <laughs> I mean, there was, there was mad things. Like I think on my third day at university, my daughter went to childcare and then came home and she had this rash that turned out to be chickenpox, which you don't immunize at the time you didn't yeah. immunize against in New Zealand. And so she couldn't go back. So I missed, I don't know, maybe three weeks of school. I'd only been for, you know, a week and a bit. And then I went back and it was, we were just getting around to that first lot of testing. And I sat a couple of tests. I was like, I don't even really know. 
I don't know what we were doing there, but fingers crossed, I got a pass. And then I walked out and it was a hot day and I was like, oh, I'm itchy. My shoulders were itchy. And it turns out I'd caught chicken pox off her, even though I'd already had. So I think I missed um, two thirds of my first semester at uni ever. <laughs> it was completely disastrous. And looking back, I've got no idea why I stayed. Um, but I think I met, there was one or two lecturers who were just unbelievably amazing humans. And also the friends in the peer group I met were just beautiful, 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 kind people that, you know, if I couldn't go to a class, I'd be like, cool, here's my notes and I'd help them out in other ways. And there was a real sense of belonging and support and community. And that's the only way I managed to get through actually. <laughs> I mean, that's literally how I got through. And I think, I mean, look, I had none of the stuff that you had to go through to get through the degree. I mean, I was living in college. I had to just go around the corner five minutes away to show up to my life. Like it was, but at the same time, <laughs> I would not have graduated had it not been for the support system of the people in that course. Like, good God. No, there's no way. It's life lesson. Easily. Like, I'm just like, oh my God, people make such a difference. Oh my God, I need these the same people in every stage of my life to actually make it through. (laughs) The whole, and I think that's so true, right? Like, it's a team sport. Whatever you're doing at that point in time, it's a team venture. It's not not just you out in the wild on your own. Although sometimes it feels that way. Um, but it was fabulous. And I think the operations research stuff that I really loved just actually tied into the McDonald's stuff I'd loved. So seemingly disparate, but actually quite well connected. Yeah. Um, and then working at the catering company at the same time, I actually did little models of stuff for them. So I helped them with their stock ordering and we figured out <laughs> all these random different things. So I got to apply it in the real world, which is such a luxury, right, when you're studying, because often you go to university and it's like, here's theory and academia. And it's in this little closed off world that, you know, you can't integrate the two. So I think yeah. I was really lucky. And it's like, especially when they teach you and it's always just like those things of in the ideal assumptions. And these are the assumptions we make. And like, especially for, I think we did financial math. I remember doing like pricing of different say derivatives and stock options and stuff. I'd be like, yeah. um, the assumptions are the market is perfect. Everything's known. The hypothesis where you're like, this doesn't work in real life. How does this, I don't understand what the point is. <laughs> it's not how it works. I had one of the best lecturers in one of my um, final year papers and we were down to, you know, the class had maybe 16 people in it, maybe 20 at a stretch. Uh, she did a lot of real world consulting and she gave us this project in teams and the course was hard. I don't say that lightly because I found a lot of, I found school easy. I found uni easy, but this paper was hard. And we <laughs> we were stoked because we solved it mathematically. We were like, woo, legends, check us out. Like, honestly, we are. And at that age, you know, you're 22-ish. We were godlike in our own minds. Yeah. So we went and handed our um, project into the supervisor and she read it with us there and asked us to explain a couple of things and, she goes, congratulations, you killed, I can't remember, it was like 800,000 people. And we're like, wait, wait what? what? What are you talking about? Uh, we're just doing our project so we get a degree. <laughs> she goes, yeah, about that. She goes, I gave you real world data. You solved the health. It, w- it was around the health system and yeah. um, optimizing for the, the best outcomes, depending on what you chose for them to be. And what we didn't realize is, and mathematically, if you minimize in cost, you would kill off the sickest 5% of the population, right? It it doesn't actually make it palatable or reasonable or something you should even remotely consider. And at that point, without all our egos, you know, spectacularly high, she cut us down and went, I gave you data and you manipulated it and gave me advice without having any idea what you were talking about. And that's shameful. And it's, stuck with me forever because she's so right in terms of we take numbers and they're an approximation of reality right like we know at the point when we're turning the real world into data that there's a level we're abstracting to that's not real and then we do this analysis and the math thing and we think we're a bit clever and we are because that stuff's hard and then we pop it out the other side and assume it's a gospel truth that reflects everything that's like we completely forgot that first step Anyway, look at me off on tangents. No, no, no. I had this a great is, time. I'm kind of like in that level of, is this the most important thing I've ever heard in my data science career? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like it's, it, it 
is. And I think this is kind of the whole ethics and everything about data science and think like anything, well, not just data science, but like anything to do with helping humans and people. Like this is literally the key thing to remember is like get the context right and understand what these mean in real life. And God, I mean, no one's actually said it like that. Like, I mean, I haven't heard anyone say it like that in those various, like, you will kill people if you do this. <laughs> well, she literally was like, congratulations, you killed. And I can't remember the number. And we were like, sorry, what? <laughs> we had no idea. And we were so high on our egos and self-importance. It was, it stuck with me for quite some years. I mean, I'm very glad you shared it. <laughs> it's like, it's not going to stick to me. This is great. <laughs> it was fabulous. But after university, and I really, I mean, it was hard. I'm saying this jokingly, that that balancing of having a dependent child, having very little income. I was so stone cold broke, it wasn't funny. Having um, to work part-time, never quite studying ever, or never, never having enough time to actually study as you would like. And to be fair, I'm not sure I even would have if I had the time, because I've never learned very well how to do that yeah but it would have been nice to have a bit more space it actually was um a journey of stubbornness it was stubbornness I just held on <laughs> until I got out the other side but then I got to go out and earn money and it was this um gosh that was a relief <laughs> but I ended up and how is this for diversity way back or inclusion so I went to my the catering company I work for and said I've finally grown up I've got a degree I'm gonna go get a real job and bless them, they turned around and went, what do you think this is? Like, you're actually, you've got a real job. Like, sorry. <laughs> and I go, yeah, but I want to earn real money. I've got a, I'm an adult. So I'm going to pay back my student debt. I'm... And they go, why don't you just work for us full-time then? And I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't think I can do full-time. I've got a five-year-old. And they go, cool, work nine till three. And I was like, ah, yeah, that works. I will definitely do that. So this is 15 years ago, um, flexibility was being offered in the workplace in New Zealand. And it was beautiful. And they let me make the job I wanted out of what was there and the hours work out of what was there. I was just given, you know, this is your remit of tasks we want you to accomplish. Go forth and accomplish them. We don't care if you do it here or, you know, in your backyard or like they truly, it was flexible working 15 years ago. And we seem to have forgotten that somewhere along the way. Um, <laughs> And we had the best time. We used to do all the luxury brands catering. We did six-figure wedding receptions. It was, we had fun, <laughs> so much fun and hospitality. But then um, I decided I would grow up a little bit and I moved up to the North Island. And I don't know how this happened, actually. Well, I moved with my partner because his job changed and he needed to move to that town. And then we got there and they go, oh, we're just pushing back your start date three months. And we're like, um, sorry, what? you what? <laughs> <laughs> we need to eat food <laughs> so I was like ah, I'll apply for a job and in the newspaper there was a job at an events company I was like oh I can do events I did that while I was at uni and I ended up um, running New Zealand National Field Days which is the largest agricultural trade show in the southern hemisphere and it's actually on at the moment funny enough <laughs> um, and for the first time ever I saw today they are hosting a McDonald's stand on site so it's all coming Everything's together. really just come back together somehow. <laughs> There's no, yeah, it's like the circle of life almost. And so that was such an interesting, crazy experience because it was a, um, it's a non-profit organization and it was designed to bring the town and country together. So New Zealand's, you know, it's a rural agricultural, that's the, that's their thing other than tourism. And it was about bringing the groups of people together and having respect and having fun. And it was, it's kind of like a three-day party, really. But it's on 54 hectares of land. So it had a whole heap of stands and stalls. Like you could go and buy a tractor if you wanted. And people would do that. <laughs> and you, likewise, you could go and buy fairy floss somewhere as well. And yep. anything in between. Like we, we had tractor racing. We had wood chopping competitions. We had um, crop dusting, aeroplanes doing... I don't know what they were doing. It was terrifying. <laughs> Flying really low is the short version. And just so much fun. So it was a three-day event that took a year to plan. Um, but I still got to use um, what I'd learned at university and what I'd learned in catering. And like I did a lot of um, modelling of what the land was like, how we could optimise the sites and make the most money out of them. But also most of it was about people and making sure 
people were doing what what we needed and wanted them to do and and influencing them and I mean it <laughs> led into the most wonderful fun things as well because we had it was a huge site and whilst my event was held once a year and was the flagship site you know flagship event we ran other events throughout the year and one of them we actually leased out the entire site to um, the New Zealand League of the World Rally Championships so <laughs> they travel around the world right yeah. and it's <laughs> it is phenomenal they they turn up on your site with these crates shipping crates and it's like watching surgery they it is so proficient and I don't know it's almost like a dance these people get the cars out they get them up and running they get I don't know it was I remember watching it and thinking this is like synchronized swimming but with cars in a pavilion <laughs> and then they go off and they race and they come back and they get serviced and off the car goes again and all these people from different countries that are servicing the cars and as part of that team come out and play soccer together on the grass and then they go back in and it's honestly gobsmacked that was one of the best experiences ever was to be involved with world rally championships also I know nothing about cars so yeah I mean, it works. It's like being random. Like I remember um, dad would watch Formula One, like just the, every weekend kind of a thing. I knew a weird, like, and this has happened to me where I, I know a weird amount of random sports just because dad would have it on on the TV over the weekends. I got, got really into it and we're like, oh my God, he's going to miss his pit stop. This is what it's going to mean. This is what it's going to mean to his like lap times. And this is how it's going to, I'm like, why do I know this? <laughs> like I have zero interest in any of this. And yet I could probably have a running conversation about this. <laughs> And it can be really important, that stuff. Like trivia nights often come back to this <laughs> stuff. <so> funny. <laughs> and I thank my dad for most of it. I'm like, thank you for the randomest stuff you've made me kind of sit through and I somehow know it now. <laughs> no. And why do I remember that and not the periodic table? Like, Great questions. <laughs> why couldn't no I remember the basic math formulas that I needed in my degree, but yet the kind of lap orders of every single city that everyone goes to? Great <laughs> questions. <laughs> so much that and so this all ties back a little bit to um the catering company I worked for was a husband and wife team and they originally met he was a mechanic for a formula one team so they met in London traveling so it's all coming together but then it gets really really wild and free we moved to Australia um and <laughs> that was weird because I had a bit of a culture shock so I'd been to Australia before from New Zealand and it was fine. It's like the big brother, you come over, like, not big brother as in surveillance, but as in it's yeah. your cousin, it's your, it's your family, you're coming over, you belong. And when we got here, I went, oh, oh, it's changed a little bit. It feels a little bit more like America than, and so it was weird because I didn't expect any culture shock. Like I literally just thought I was moving to another city that was just like yeah. home. Um, but also fabulous. I mean, beaches, we moved to Sydney. It was warm. It was it was great. Um, and then I had my second on oh, in between. I did um, consulting at one of the big four banks here via a university project. Um, what? <laughs> How did I never hear about this before? <laughs> so this is it. I mean, so much in life happens because you know someone or meet someone, yeah. right? And so I met someone down on the beach because we were there with kids. And they were looking for someone that could run some data stuff because they were a professor at uni and they were doing a research project. And that's how that happened. And we were doing some um, insights into customer service and satisfaction and just playing with different scripts for tellers to use. This was, you know, back in the day where you could go into an actual bank and a teller would interact with you. And it was really intriguing because, I mean, the really short version of this is that when a teller complimented a customer so for and not oh my god you're so gorgeous I love you but uh hey can't you, I really appreciate how you filled out that form for me it made my life easier thank you yeah. that kind of task orientated compliment for competence the ratings went up just disproportionately higher um and it's it didn't hold true for um phone conversation interactions but in person it made a really big difference and I mean, it's so simple when you think about it, right? All yeah. any of us wants is to feel like we matter and we belong and we have, there's a point to us. And so anyway, I think that's a good thing just to hold on to. It's be nice to people. They just want to feel like they're part of the thing. So 
I met a guy on a beach and got a job. That was that story. Honestly, I think out of every person I've met or known over the last couple of years, you, if anyone was like, how does one network? I'm like, go talk to Gretchen. (laughs) If there's anyone who I've ever met who's had, like, I met at the beach or I was standing in line for a coffee and I met so-and-so and and have that met this, you are that one person that I'm like, go talk to Gretchen. (laughs) No, the biggest event of like varied people in every industry I can think of, like, I randomly got connected to someone LinkedIn the other night. Oh, you know, Gretch, she does great things on this. I'm like, how, how do you even, what? (laughs) What is going on? I love it. It It's important. And like networking is important, but anyway, sorry, I'll let you go back to Sydney. Um, (laughs) And I think it's, sorry, it's just something you mentioned there about how you moved to Australia and it was so different. I think unless you're in Australia or New Zealand, you don't actually realize how different it is. Because no. like to the other, like literally outside of the two countries, to the rest of the world, it's like Australia and New Zealand. It's the same thing, and same thing with like UK and Ireland. Like a lot of people outside of it are like, eh, okay, same thing, and you're like, oh no, 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 very different things. <laughs> it's it's really interesting. I'm glad you mentioned it. <laughs> I was in Sydney, did some yep. consulting, learned that you should be kind to people, nice, and people like to be appreciated. Um, and then I applied to do. Oh, I had another child in between. But, sorry. <laughs> just to fill in the space um but what happened there was I assumed I'd go back to work part-time but there was no childcare for love nor money the wait list for childcare was over 12 months um and then the price at the time and this was quite some it was over a decade ago it was about 130 dollars a day where I was and it just actually got to the point where economically I'd been out of the workforce and had weird varied gaps it was not I would have been paying for the privilege of going to work if I could find a job that would give me days to work that aligned with any childcare I could potentially find that would take my child. And I, I could not, I was um, actually quite keen to, to do that regardless because I thought there's merit in just keeping a foot in the door because it's hard to get back when you've taken time out. And I couldn't make the two things align. Well, to be fair, I just actually couldn't get childcare. So it didn't matter what the other was. And we had yeah. no family or backup for any of the things. And private nanny is just, just inaccessible in terms yeah. of finances. It just made no sense. And my husband um, was away for half the year traveling with work. So they're just, I actually found myself out of the employment market, not because um, it wasn't actually a conscious choice. It just was situational that's where I ended up but in in saying that I really enjoyed my time at home with the kids and I think I learned a lot more being with them than I actually did in the workforce in terms of I for example you take a two-year-old who doesn't want to put their shoes on and you need shoes on because perhaps there's sharp stones or a snake, right? Like for actual legitimate reasons. I'm pretty keen on their feet. I love the fact that you just said sharp stones or snakes. That is such an Australian thing. It's so (laughs) funny. (laughs) But yeah, sorry, continue. It's just, I had to add that in. (laughs) Very situational comment, isn't it? Um, But do you try and persuade a two-year-old to wear shoes who doesn't want to? And that makes any board meeting, any pay negotiation, anything else just pale in comparison you really learn how to manipulate a situation and and take an argument in a different direction and persuade and and at which points you just have to run a dictatorship as well um you learn a lot from small people (laughs) and it's hard learning because there's the pay is pretty rubbish too actually yeah it's a fair point (laughs) and I would say one of the things I mean I joke about the pay parenting I mean I love it I love my children they're like the best things I truly adore them but I think we don't respect parenting and how hard that is the amount of time and effort that goes into it Um, the lack of pay you get and I'm not saying you should be paid to do these things but it has an actual economic value to our entire societal structures but the thing that really kind of hurt me the most and this comes back to my ego that I brought up before is that I could go out and say hey I'm Gretchen I'm I'm a data scientist and I get respect. If you say, hey, I'm Gretchen and I'm raising two beautiful children, people's eyes glaze over and they kind of skip away from you as fast as they possibly can. And wouldn't it be beautiful if we just had a little bit of respect for what parenthood entails and that it really is a hard job that has value. 
That's I think it's very important. And I remember I've definitely said this on the podcast podcast before where I'm like, if anyone is looking to transition careers and looking to be like every single thing you've done will translate to a skill that's transferable. Again, go talk to Gretchen. Like I've said this in the podcast before. Just don't, like, I can't remember it was it really, it, I mean, And I think it was that example. Like I've, I've heard you use that example before where I was like, negotiating is a key thing that you learn as par- like a parent and therefore it is a transferable skill and not enough people will put like use that kind of a thing as like yeah I got this I mean I have the and experience like, in this management? just by raising kids <laughs> so much you end up time management I mean the amount you can get done in a in a child's napping period is unbelievable and prioritization you pick that up pretty much <laughs> I mean, and just stamina <laughs> the will to go on all of it <laughs> let me write your resume um, so, so we got I kind of found myself in no man's land really I couldn't I was unemployable unemployed and it sucked a bit um but then I applied to do my master's at Melbourne Uni and got offered a full scholarship so I was like okay team we've lived in one place for a couple of years time to go again <laughs> So exactly. I'll just, yeah, this is my life as well. I'm like, I got, I don't even know. I've lost pen. I have many cities. I've like now moved and lived to. So I'm like, it makes sense. <laughs> Three years, I've had enough. Move on. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> I'm done. So we came to Melbourne, and what an amazing city! It's um, I've met some of the coolest people here. Just unreal and welcoming, and the sense of belonging you get in a place like this. I mean, Melbourne is such a mixing pot of culture and people that it doesn't matter who you are, you can you can be here and I love that but from a personal perspective I found daycare for my son and I was like whoa this is unreal and it was way cheaper way cheaper I think it was still about 100 bucks a day but still a lot cheaper and so off I went to university and I was lucky enough to come across I only had there was about three professors in running the program and one of them was just this amazing human and so what happened on the side is my son very much despised daycare to the point I mean you could frame it as he got kicked out they used to <laughs> I don't know <laughs> who's had experience with childcare here but they never ring you to pick up your child unless they're sick with something contagious like they do not ring you to come and get your child they want your kid there they want you to pay like that's yeah. kind of how it works but they would ring he hated it it was not it really didn't work for him and so about us some a term in I was talking to one of the professors and said I'm I'm not sure if I can do this. And I'm, I mean, I've shown I'm a bit stubborn, but this is, he's not okay at childcare. Um, and the professor goes, yeah, he goes, I used to work in the corporate world doing optimization modeling. He goes, I made a lot of money. Like you, you can make a, a serious income on it. And he goes, and I realized that it was not good for me because I was just making money and it had no purpose. He goes, so I've come back to teaching because he used to teach a little bit before he went out in the corporate world and he goes and I earn about an eighth of the money he goes and I am so much happier and I was like um I was asking about me not you (laughs) cool story (laughs) and he goes yeah what I'm trying to tell you is there is more to life and he goes you are clearly a person that likes being around people or you wouldn't have managed to come and have a conversation with me and I'm kind of stereotyping the people I was with in this course. <laughs> but he um, he goes, I think if you finish this master's qualification, then you're setting yourself up to be in a room with a computer and write a lot of maths. And he goes, and you'll probably get some joy out of it. And he goes, but I reckon you probably miss people. And he goes, I'm not telling you what to do, but maybe you should look at something else, like hanging out with your kids. And I was like, huh. Anyway, so that was a very short version of what was a heartbreaking decision in my life and I left uni and my full scholarship which I mean now I look back and I go it's not that big a deal it was the right choice and it wholeheartedly was the right choice to make but there was a piece of me that went I was getting back um, like a sense of identity and a sense of me and an ability to work and be kind of self-sufficient and economic and I sobbed for maybe two days on and off. I was just like, I'm heartbroken. Like, I know there is yeah. no other way to do this. And I'd explored lots of options. And I knew it was the right decision, but it just sucked <laughs> completely. So after that, I kind of moped for a year. Well, actually, I didn't. 
I looked at what was going on. <laughs> I like to pretend I did with childcare and why the things weren't working and, and did a lot of stuff with, with the kids at home to make sure that they were more okay. And in between made some friends, did some netball coaching, got myself out in the community more. And um, one of the women I met through netball, her daughter played with mine, had her 50th birthday maybe. And her husband organized a surprise dinner. So off we go to dinner. And <laughs> who doesn't love a dinner? Like getting to meet new people. Like anyway, yeah. I was super excited. I ended up sitting beside this man who's uh, maybe 55. And I was like, you're really familiar. And he goes, so are you. And I was like, but I've been in Melbourne for like 18 months. So clearly I don't know you. And we're talking about life and history. And he work, works, worked at Fonterra. And Fonterra are a dairy company, and they were one of the strategic sponsors of Field Days back when I was in New Zealand. So it turned out I had met him. <laughs> and this is where I go back to Gretchen knows everyone and anyone for God knows what reason. <laughs> and so we're sitting there having a glass of wine, eating this fabulous meal. And I just I'd said, what are you up to since then? Because it had been a few years. And I said, oh, I'm just starting to look for the next, next kind of adventure, the next thing for me to do. You know, I've been at home with the kids. I'm kind of out of everything. And he goes, ah, oh, my brother's starting his own business. I'll get him to give you a call. I was like, oh, yeah, sweet. Anyway, had a great night. A couple of days later, I get this phone call. This guy's a plastic surgeon and he wants to start a business around breast augmentation. I'm like, well, you're not really my people then, are you? Because, wow, I'm not, you want me to work in a business around fake boobs. <laughs> And so it was a very short conversation. And then he called me back the next day and he goes, I don't think I represented what I'm trying to do very well. Can we start again? I was like, sure, give it a crack. And so he was explaining to me, and I had no idea, how in Australia, if you do your medical training, you can call yourself um, a cosmetic surgeon, which is fine. You can, that's what you can do. So that um, entails breast surgery, you know, augmentation, all sorts of Botox. I actually don't know anymore. Things have moved on since I was in the space. But a plastic surgeon has something like another, I think between five and seven years training around plastic surgery and wound care and all the specifics around that. So they're quite different qualifications. Yeah. And I had no idea that there was a difference between the two other than how you spelt them, right? Like, <laughs> who knew? So what he was aiming to do was bring together, I guess, in essence, a, a kind of educational marketing campaign around saying, you know, if you're looking at breast surgery, there is so much to know. And, you know, one of the pieces is a cosmetic surgeon versus a plastic surgeon. Another piece is around, yeah, you could go to Thailand and get the surgery, but a lot of plastic surgery um, success is dependent on after-surgery wound care. Um, so it was around being an educational piece. And interestingly, I learned that we don't track a lot of data around medical procedures in Australia at all. Um, so there was a piece in there I got to do around looking into surgical outcomes and and not just do the boobs look good or not but around is the patient happy is the doctor happy what does happy look like what does happy feel like what is success and so that was super interesting and yeah it was another job I got because I met a person somewhere um <laughs> so fabulous startup we actually got acquired by an insurance company um and then after that I went okay kids are settled I'm back in the world I'm going to go back to uni and do this education piece because I feel like I still need to do it. And somehow in between my degree had got old <laughs> or expired and, and the university said, you need to provide us with your year 12 math qualification. And I was like, oh yeah, about that. I don't, I never did it. <laughs> like I've got four years of kind of math papers at uni, but I never did year 12. And they're like, yeah, great, but you still have to do it. And I was like, oh, okay. So I did year 12. <laughs> you can do it online. <laughs> so I did a math paper and it was um, it was a horrible experience actually because literally they sent you a PDF, you read the PDF, you did some exercises and then they gave you a test. Like there was no, um, there wasn't video content. None of it was interactive. It was just a bit rubbish. But I did that in a few weeks and there were moments throughout it where you know how you said in your year 12, again, so there was um, there was just bits that you had to accept and move on. Yeah. I think I went through some of my degree like that. And when I finally came back and did year 12 maths, I went, oh, yes, that's 
why that worked that's happened so much it's actually disgusting to me like especially the last three years we're like oh that thing I just did for the sake of doing because I needed a solution straight away that's what oh yeah Uh, (laughs) but also I mean it was if someone had been watching me go through it that often I would have been humiliated but it was quite enjoyable too to go oh yeah I got it now I got it um so I went and did that and then about that same time um the Formula One mechanic boss of my original catering company passed away and it threw me like he was one of my special people in my life and it just literally I kind of imploded I was like I don't I don't know what I want to do with my life now this is wow I and I kind of just spun around in circles for a bit and I thought you know I like maths but I like creative stuff like I like making I like sewing I'll make a coat I'll I don't know what else I'm currently in the process of making (laughs) um, an electronic ball gown so there's that (laughs) I'll let you know how it goes (laughs) Um, but it threw me and I was like, okay, so I need to find something that aligns with a bit of creativity and a bit of maths. And bless, bless the internet for listening to me. They started sending me ads for web development boot camps. <laughs> and the one time the algorithms have done you justice, I was like, yes. They did it good. Um, so I applied for one and they sent me back a an email and I had to click on the link and the link was broken. And this kind of represents where my head was at. I was like, well, that's a bit rubbish and deleted the email. And then I got an ad pushed for a different boot camp. And I was like, ah, oh, that starts on Monday. This was on a Thursday night. So I clicked the thing, filled out the form and signed up to a six month full-time boot camp while I had two kids and a husband who was away half the year in a city with no family um, and very little pre-research <laughs> to anything. Like literally it was on a whim and <laughs> it was horrific. Um, I got bashed every day with new content. I had no idea what I'd signed up for, but also I kind of enjoyed the learning. I just felt like I didn't learn enough of it deep enough at the time. I think you need to do the six months of the boot camp and then six months of processing the boot camp because it... um probably breaks every adult education philosophy we know <laughs> I mean yeah like it's kind of a three-year degree shoved into what six months kind of a thing almost the same like in an equivalent form right I mean that's what they're replacing well it actually is a um the qualification was a diploma of IT which is a 12-month program so yeah there you go <laughs> it's like, so I think for some personality types it's phenomenal and if you can accept not knowing the background and just running with what works, then it's okay. And then you can backfill later. Um, and what it does do is, I mean, they always sell themselves as we will let you change careers into tech or we will facilitate this. And they do do that. They don't do it in a nice way. I mean, you know, that that visual you get of a boot camp of someone in um, military gear carrying a log through mud, that's pretty much, that's the great visual to have because that's what it feels like. <laughs> all the time um but the other thing that came out of doing a boot camp was you you got to meet really cool people and more networking yeah. <laughs> well they, I love that you, I never view any of this as networking so someone said to me the other day you're great at networking and I was like at what what no but I mean I, I say networking is a term because it's the over-encompassing term but it's like you're a people person right you just find your people like that's yeah. what the there's a difference there uh, it's a very yeah. big difference, let's be real. But yeah, that's just a term that everyone puts against us. It is. We need a better one. Well, I don't know. I find um, my youngest was saying to me the other day, I said, oh, I'm catching up with friends. And he goes, I thought you were at work. And I was like, they don't have to be mutually exclusive. <laughs> Can you call them work friends then? So I know you're at work. <laughs> there needs yeah. to be differences. <laughs> I need to put these things in categories because it works better for me. But it's... um. But I think when I meet people, the people are so interesting and they have the best stories, right? And the, so much knowledge and just getting to know other people's, I don't know, experiences and journeys. I love that. 
yeah I mean like I'm saying it to um, a friend who listens to the podcast kind of like she's like she's one of my like she's like I religiously listen to this every like Saturday that it comes out like go for a walk it's my part like my walk time and I'm like my little heart oh this is adorable um but at the same she's just like it's just so interesting like I mean this is these aren't lives that I mean this is not careers that I would be doing myself but I love listening to them. I'm like, it's literally the same thing. I'm just nosy at times where I'm like, I just want to hear your life story. I think it's cool. Please tell me. <laughs> tell me more. I'm like, how did you make that decision to do X to Y to Z? And I'm like, amazing. This is crazy cool to me. <laughs> yeah. I love that um, so many people assume that I've made actual conscious decisions each time as opposed to kind of glancing up and going, oh, that looks interesting. <laughs> and just following it like a child. So I did the boot camp and it was it was a wild ride. <laughs> but survived it, got out, got out of the other end of it. And they offered me a job um helping to teach it. And I was like, yeah, well, this is good because there's some bits I didn't get completely and I'd love some more time. And if it's paid time, <laughs> I'm all in. <laughs> but also your knowledge to be able to share um yeah. content or learning, you are forced to get your head around it. And I know I'm a little bit kind of lazy in that regard so I thought this is good I'm holding myself to account that's like how I learned I'm like I'll sign up for presentations where I'm like yeah I'll do a presentation on this new thing and literally that's the only thing that'll actually make me go learn or try it out because I have to show other people how to do it <laughs> yes it's like my corporate personal trainer right like it's perfect <laughs> force yourself into a deadline <laughs> and accountability um and that was cool. I got to carry on meeting amazing people and then kind of accidentally got into a more business development role because I, I caught up with some friends of some friends and they were talking about how at their work they were looking at um, and being really upset and heartbroken around another corporate restructure and how that meant they were going to have to make people redundant and that just heartbreaking. Um, and then they mentioned that they part of the contract is that they give out retraining or reskilling funds at the end and I was like well why don't you just retrain these people in tech because the other side of the conversation was we don't have enough technologists um so we had a great conversation around oh my gosh imagine if you these people who know where the storing key is know what happens on Tuesdays know where to go for the lunch know like that understand your organization and then reskilled and upskilled and sideways skilled into the places you need them to be we can only be winning right and it, it's kind of cost neutral with payouts um so that was my that was my movement into sales it doesn't feel like sales <laughs> but then if you fast forward it I think what I do often is once I get a sense of being able to do a thing or mastery over it I look for the next yeah. the next thing I can do the next challenge the next learning um and so I kind of got to that phase and I left that organization with no game plan and <laughs> I, I think I remember that and that was where I was just like I have so yeah, much respect what? for you because yeah, I remember you like <laughs> I think it was like like was that a DDD like it was like a random conference you're like oh it was at the conference because I was making up the slides to be like wait Gretch what do you actually do because I don't know and I need to put it in as like what you're oh, doing wow. in life kind of a role and you're like yeah that's what I do but I'm also I just quit <laughs> like you what where are you going and you're like I've got no idea I've got I'm, I'm on leave for a while I'm like that is the what I think it's just I've never heard of anyone who did that like myself like I mean obviously I know people do that but I hadn't personally heard of that and I was like what oh what you can do and to be fair, I mean what a position of privilege so I don't want to discount that at all yeah. um it's total luxury but also because I'd taken so much time out of work and stayed at home with the kids for quite a long time our entire financial situation is was set up so that we live very much below our means um, and have for forever, partly because we're, I guess, paranoid. <laughs> I don't know. I think when you move somewhere as an immigrant and you're not, you can't get citizenship, you kind of feel like you need to have a safety net or an out and you live slightly yeah. differently. So the financial thing was, whilst it is a concern and there's something that's harsh about not earning an income because society says you're a failure at that point. It was a from a position of privilege that I could leave and not need to do something immediately. Been saying that I got put on gardening leave, um, which I didn't see that coming. So all of a sudden I had four weeks of which I was paid and didn't have to do anything. And I was like, this is brilliant. I'm going to figure out what it is I need to do. 
which is something I keep trying to do and never really succeeding in. And But you know when you're doing something and it feels right. Like it doesn't feel like hard work if there's an alignment between your kind of personal values and goals and what the organization's doing. And, and if that's also congruent with your skill set, then it's fun, right? Yeah. So it's like, I need to look for the next one of these. Yeah. And it, actually, I ended up at, so my following job came about, I was at a, um, uh, what is it? The YAR events they used to hold at night. They haven't done one for a while. Oh, um, yeah. Okay. A meetup. Like yeah, an also, evening meetup. Yes. With YAR, right. <laughs> gosh I can't remember what and it was a it was a great one it was in the city and I went and came out and I was talking to the guy beside me and we were chatting and he goes I think I just got sent an email with your name in it and I was like yeah your name just got brought up too because her name his name's Erwin my name's Gretchen they're not the most common names in Melbourne yeah and it turns out a mutual friend of ours had just sent an email going hey, Erwin, you've got this tech startup and I know you're looking for people and also I just heard that Gretchen quit her job, so meet. And literally that email had been sent about two hours before we came to this actual meetup. And so that was my next job. (laughs) (laughs) Which is fabulous, right? So um, I ended up being the COO at Link, L-A-N-C, which is a front-end development platform. And the coolest thing about it I haven't even alluded to how passionate I get about diversity in tech yet. Oh, no. (laughs) I mean, yeah, yeah, look, I think even it's not just the fact that you haven't alluded. It's the fact that everything you've done so far alludes to it in and of itself, right? I mean, everything you've been through and had to fight for, which you shouldn't have had to fight for in the first place and gotten. Yeah. So, I mean, it's there for me anyway. And maybe that's just because I know you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when I was a teacher at... um, at the boot camp, I was really encouraging of getting a, a better diversity mix within the student population. And then I had a moment, and it seems so obvious looking back now. So I thought if we get all these different people writing code, we will stop building um, not just average tech products, but the ones that are dangerous and the ones that are actively harmful, because yep. we'll have more oversight into how these things can play out. And I, I thought I was doing doing the most in the space. And, and like, I was really passionate. We got scholarships. We interacted with different community groups, um, came on and did Women Who Code With You. And then I had a moment one day where I looked up and I went, yeah, great. I've got all these people that look a bit different. And, and don't get me, we have not met the bar. Like, I think we had a 30% gender mix yeah. in most of the classes. And that that was a huge change, but still not high enough. Um, but then I also looked around and realized a lot of these people have really similar personality types anyway. Um, and some are a bit different, but there's they've had a lot of similar lived experience. They socioeconomically, they were quite, um, you know, within a kind of band. I was like, so all I've done is got different packaged people with the same, <laughs> like, this is not fixing the problems. Yeah. Like, yes, it is. It's one of the things that will help, but it's not the be all and end all. What else can we do? So I thought, actually, we need to start bringing in people earlier and at different stages and with different interests and different expertise and and do it well, because I think tech sometimes has this, I mean, tech is hard. And I think we do a lot of gatekeeping stuff because um, we can't explain what we do well enough. And there's probably a little bit of a fear of being found out that we don't know as much as we wish we did. And so sometimes I've seen people in technology try and explain a concept to someone and the person's gone, I don't get it. And they're like, yeah, that's because you're stupid. And that's it done, right? Conversation. And say, for example, that was a UX or UI person, you know, who helps design the application or the product or the feature and make it really usable. You've just cut them out of the conversation for no reason other than you couldn't explain what it was you were doing. Um, and I thought, how can we combat that? And part of what Link's product was, was every time you did a Git commit. And so for people that don't write code all the time, Git is where you um, put all your code so everyone else on the team working on it can have a look at it. And you can set it up so it connects and you can use the application or the feature or the product as it's intended. So what part of the product we built out was that every time someone did Git commit, you could send that URL and anyone could use it. So for example, I could make 
um, a couple of buttons that took you through a different journey on on my own website and I could send it you know to my dad who hates tech with a passion and he could just click on the link and then use it yeah um, and give feedback so he didn't need a staging environment he didn't need to sit beside someone else who knew how to write code he didn't have to deal with the lingo and all the other stuff we have he could just actually give feedback because that was valid like here's skin in the game I want to hear how he interacts with this and there's there's no shaming there's no keeping out I'm so super passionate and it's such a good journey at this company so I went from being in a, a company with a fair bit of capital to a startup and oh my gosh so much fun the Melbourne startup scene is unreal <laughs> and a really great space to be involved in there's so many different like everything, different products being built, different companies started, different, you know, government funding, state funding. It's, it's so much fun. I really enjoy that space. But COVID happened and that was, um, I mean, it was pretty rubbish for everyone, but it was just as from a, a business perspective, we were ready to go to market and try and make some money. Yeah. And everyone we were selling to who would, you know, be tech companies were like, we're on a zero spend like your product's cool and I really want to use it, but we'll just use the free tier and we're on a zero spend. Sorry. So that was a bit like, oh, do we, oh, do we just fail? What do we do now? Um, and we had a crazy cool team, like a crazy cool team of four of us that grew to five. But, but we came around to um, going, okay, let's just, we've got enough runway to last for quite some time if we're clever. Let's, knuckle down and actually make the product even better because I think sometimes in tech we do this if it's hard to onboard your stuff then it must be a cool tech product like it's got to be good if there's road bumps to get over because you've proven how good you are at tech and that you belong here and you're awesome we're like let's not do that let's like just go you should be able to get it set up without thinking and so spent time doing that which was I mean radical and then we're ready to go to market again. We're like, cool, small company, don't have much money. How are we going to get the most reach for, for nothing? And we thought, oh, let's hang out with the big kids that are doing great stuff in the tech space. And our product works really well with Cloudflare workers, which is a phenomenal product in itself. And so um, our CTO was like, hey, I've got this blog post. What do you think? And Cloudflare went, yeah, cool, great blog. Yeah, let's share that and also should we acquire you? And we went, yes, you shall. (laughs) (laughs) So that was how that played out. So late last year, we were acquired by Cloudflare and the team moved over in all different roles. And it's been um, super interesting just to to go from a team of, you know, five to a team of 2000. (laughs) And it's um, such a journey. So I'm in a community role there, which is heaps of fun I mean it fits right in with everything you do yeah. <laughs> um and we're doing great things we're um I'm, I got to interview you on tv so Cloudflare has their own tv channel and so we've been doing work around um showing what technologists look like and how they got to be where they are um not as interesting as yours because I have tiny time slots and you're getting people with cool stories <laughs> I've listened to some of your episodes and it's like, oh my God, cool. That is so interesting. Um, But it's really, I think this sharing of journeys and that technology is not just for the bro with the hoodie is so important. And then the other thing I'd say is you don't, like I quite enjoy maths. I'm actually quite rubbish at it if I look back. Like it's not, other people get it a lot better than I do I mean my 12 year old gets it better than me at the moment he'll do stuff in his head go that's the answer and I'm like still haven't read the question um <laughs> but I think there's space and tech for all the people right like you don't have to be a math genius and yeah like the reality is if it's super hard maths I'm just using someone else's library anyway because they would have done it better than me yeah <laughs> and that, like and it's literally that I think Kathy mentioned this in her podcast episode where she's like I don't care if you're working at Microsoft or Google or Amazon that doesn't mean like that's not the only qualifier for working in tech if you are working in a store using a program to put your data in you are working in tech like everything I don't she's like there's not a single job left in the world that isn't really working with tech anymore everybody yeah. works in tech and it's just the qualifiers that we seem to put in front of it are so different I was like 
That's a great way of looking at it. My daughter rebels against tech. Um, she said, I hate technology. I'm not in tech. And then in the next breath, we'll talk about the videos she's been editing or, or the WordPress site she's just put up. And you're like, okay, you go on not being in tech. Let me know how that goes. It's just not an option left anymore, is it? Like, I mean, if you have a smartphone, you're in tech on this, is it? <laughs> Look, I think we might have to leave it on there for today. I have absolutely, like, and I knew this was going to be a good conversation, which means you've had, like, anytime we chat, we've always got these, like, random tangents we go on, and it's perfect, because it's all the things that we love talking about, so it worked out really, and thank you for being so open and willing to share about, like, the, the dark, dark parts of it, right? I mean, it's like, well, yeah. like, well it's oh, not all unicorns and rainbows, right? Exactly. Sometimes it's just really rough. And, like, dropping out of the degree and stuff, and I mean, the fact that there are great decisions that happen, but also having to let go of those great decisions for other things it's hard and again not enough people talk about them so I'm very glad that you no, do don't we pretend it's all smooth yeah they really do and I don't know why we do it and I'm hoping one day soon we'll start just admitting to it maybe one day I mean <laughs> well, I'll say that. yeah well so who knows but look we'll leave it off there we'll be sorry well thank you so much for your time and coming along today I'm very much appreciative thank you for having me Oh, well, look, we'll leave it there and we'll be back in two weeks time for another episode and enjoy life until then, I guess. <laughs> <laughs>